welcome to The Well Podcast. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and give you practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit thewell.ca. Do you know what your name means? I don't know. Some of you probably do. Some of you don't. Maybe you're like, no one ever told me. (laughs) Uh, Take a moment with the people around you, a couple of people near you, and maybe at least one of you in the group is going to know, talk with each other. What does your name mean? Take a few minutes to share that with each other. Now, some of you, um, you know, maybe your parents had uh, like there was a lot of meaning that was given to your name or maybe it was somebody else in your family's name or whatever. But sometimes we're named um, because of something that represents something in our family or perhaps that the parents want for the child. I mean, certainly when it comes to like artists, <laughs> um, musicians and painters and, and sculptors who they name often their creations because it's, it's, it's telling everybody else, what does this thing mean? Or even what is it supposed to do? Certainly companies, when they create products or create brands, branding is a thing, right? Where the name is meant to mean something. And in fact, tell others or elicit a response from people because of what this name is. This is how you're supposed to feel about this person, about this object, about this brand, about this product, about this piece of art, about this song. And this is what you're meant to do with it. Now, this is interesting. You may not have thought about this, but we do this all the time as people. We try to put names to experiences, seasons, events, times that we're in to try to identify what is this or what's happening or what's going on. And the name of it is, in a sense, meant to elicit a response or to tell us what are you supposed to do or how are you supposed to act or how are you supposed to respond to this thing because of what this name is. Now, the media does this. We do this for each other. And let me, it may seem like an abstract idea, but let me illustrate in very real time as you think about the last season uh, we've been in or even like, you know, it's January. So if you think about the last year of our lives as a community or as we look ahead to the year coming, um, there have been names given to the season we're in. One of those names is pandemic. Pandemic is a name of what we've been. Now, I know 
it pan means everywhere <laughs> and medic obviously a medical issue everywhere yes so functionally that had a name but you know it it also told us the more the name was repeated the more this thing was named it told us how we were supposed to live or how we were supposed to act in response in many ways what it meant was feel panic and be afraid Panic is actually, you can just get that word from pandemic. Feel panic and be afraid. If this is a pandemic, this is what you're supposed to do. Feel panic, buy a lot of toilet paper, whatever, and be afraid. How about this name? Recession. That, that's a name given to the season we're heading into or what's ahead of us in 2023. Will 2023 be a season of recession? And that word recession isn't just referring to the, economic, the macroeconomics of how the stuff, the money flows in a society or in a capitalistic culture, but it also is telling us, hey, if there's a recession coming, here's how you need to act. This is what it means. Be conservative and be pessimistic. Be conservative, be pessimistic. Because it's named a recession, this is how you're supposed to feel. This is how you act. What about this name? I know you're going to hate me. Don't throw stuff at the screen. Uncertainty. <laughs> right? This is a season of uncertainty. In these uncertain times, what is ahead of us? Oh, is uncertainty. And if that's the name, then the actions or the way we respond is be anxious and be noncommittal. Uncertainty is about instability. Oh no, what's going to happen next? I don't know. I can't predict the future. I can't see where this is going. Therefore, I'm not going to commit or I'm going to be worried or I'm going to be reluctant. I'm going to hold tight, stand pat because this is a season of uncertainty. Or perhaps the optimists among us will say, no, this is opportunity. Maybe you've heard that. Maybe you've said that. Maybe you've read a book about that, that this is, let's name this season as a season of opportunity, which would mean be creative and risk-taking because this is a season of opportunity. Whatever the names are, whatever you, know, you subscribe to and where you lean maybe on that spectrum, these are all words that, I don't know about you, but they have had a tremendous influence on how I feel and how I respond, especially when I hear them over and over and over again, that this is what it means. And, and other people fill in the blanks. And that's just media, social media, or family dinner tables at Christmas or whatever. These are the words and the names we're trying to give. a. We put a name because we want to try to understand it. But that name we give elicits a response. And I don't know about you, but like it has tremendous power over me. And I don't really like, I don't want to feel like I'm at the mercy of how the media or social media, in a sense, names a season, therefore demanding or instructing or just me just instinctively thinking, okay, I need to do this or I need to feel this or this is how I'm meant to live. And the good news is we don't have to be at the mercy of what those names are. We can actually live differently and here's why. One of the fascinating things you will discover about the story of Scripture, and as you've heard me say many times before, the story of Scripture is essentially, whether you've read any part of Scripture or not before, it is the story of who God is, who we are, how God relates to us, how we relate to Him, and how we live. In all of life, not just religious life. And one of the fascinating things you'll find all the way through the story of Scripture is that God gives people names. And not like just functional names, like you will be toaster forever. You will toast bread. Like God's names for people weren't so much about function, but they were, um, they were about purpose, identity, destiny. They were a name that God gave. God was often renaming people, in fact. He said, I know your parents named you this. It was one guy whose, nickname, whose name meant deceiver. Um, he, he actually renamed him uh, a name that means one who wrestles with God. 
It was a way of changing that person's destiny, marking a change. Like when God came in and did something dramatic in people's lives, often he would change the names of individuals and say, this is your new name. Or he would name a place uh, like where something happened in this geographical space or an event or an experience. And the people of God began to do that too. That this was, it was God's way of saying, um, as I name you, I'm actually I'm helping you know how to live. My name for you tells you how to live. It was sort of a new purpose, a new way of being. In fact, it's related to what we would call the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, if you realize, I read it uh, all the way through scripture, didn't, wasn't referring to like specific geographical boundaries or palaces or anything like that. In fact, Israel wanted that. They wanted a king. They wanted palaces. They wanted a geographic marker. God was just saying, you know, I'm your king. The kingdom of God was not about politics and power and military. It was the world according to God a different way of living in the world. And so God often named people as a part of his kingdom to say, hey, the way I name you or the name I give you or the name I give to this place tells you how to live or how to live differently now that you have this name. What does it mean to be a part of the kingdom of God? And here's the amazing thing. We as the people of God get the opportunity to do that too. We can with God's help, actually name the season we're in. We can actually give a new name. We don't necessarily have to adopt the names of media or social media or whatever or that other people are saying and nothing wrong with what they're doing, but we can actually name it in a way that helps us know how is God calling us to live or live differently in this season. And actually, as we are starting this new year with a week of prayer that begins this afternoon, a group of us as pastors and volunteers um, met together as we prayed and said, okay, God, what is a name that you would have to give us for this week and possibly for this year? That's for our whole community that would invite us into a way of living differently. And we, I want to share that with you today, but not yet. <laughs> to do that, we actually want to look at, uh, look in, kind of zoom in on one section of the story of God's people. Um, that a name that they ended up having for the season they were in that I think was not just for them, but is actually really appropriately for us now that we sense, yeah, this is a name to name the season we are in, to name the year ahead. A little bit, little bit of historical context on where we find ourselves in, in this point in the story. Israel as a nation had been invaded by the army of Babylon. Babylon had conquered them. And what they did was the Babylonian army was the greatest empire at that time. They destroyed the temple the, the, the temple in Jerusalem, which was a way of saying, hey, our God is stronger than your God. So we were able, with our God's help, to tear down and destroy your temple. Then they destroyed the city walls and the gates, which was actually sort of saying, our king is greater than your king. Like the walls and the gates and the city's fortress were a way of protecting from other nations. And so, and then they would actually kill the king or some of the public leaders. They destroyed and burned the gates of the city and many of the houses. And then what they would do is they would take all of the educated people, all the wealthy people, all the people of prominence, the religious leaders and everything, and export them, like gut them, take them out of their homeland and bring them to Babylon. And the only people they would leave in Jerusalem were the poor and the sick, basically saying, oh, they're not gonna, they were not gonna be able to rebuild this city. And we've taken all of the talent and brought it into Babylon. It's gonna make Babylon better. It was what they called and was, was called exile. They were exiled to a foreign land. They were captured and taken as slaves, as servants, as citizens of a different country. And exile marked their time in Babylon. Then, as happens with empires, 
The next great empire, the Persian Empire, came in and conquered the, the Babylonian Empire, conquered the city of Babylon, and it became part of the Persian Empire, and also all the people within the city of Babylon, these Israelites, were now part of the Persian Empire. But through a series of events that we're not going to get into, some of them were allowed and in fact given resources and ability and help by the, um, the, the, the prince of Persia, by the head of the Persian Empire, to go back to Jerusalem. And so a number of them returned home. And, and as they returned home, they were entering a new season, not exile anymore, but the season of rebuilding. And that season, it was a season of rebuilding because they were going to rebuild the temple, the, the place of worship for their God. They were going to rebuild their homes as well and their dwelling. They were going to rebuild the city gates and the city walls. And this wasn't just about the bricks and mortar and the stone and um, the materials of rebuilding. It was them rebuilding their lives, in a sense, rebuilding their relationship with God <laughs> that they felt had been lost because of the temple had been torn. And they had lost so much, right? They had lost so much in the exile. They had lost loved ones. They had lost a sense of identity. They had lost, in a sense, their locus of faith and worship. For them, the temple represented where God lived. And so if the temple was destroyed, well, God wasn't with them anymore which we know actually wasn't true. And later on, that was going to become clear to them. But they were rebuilding the temple. They were rebuilding their homes, like their lives, their relationships with each other in their community and the city walls. In other words, their relationship with the community and the world around them. They were in a season of rebuilding. And we get a little glimpse into what that season was like, probably one of the most succinct and profound descriptions of what it was like to engage in a season of rebuilding. And we're going to hear a passage that um, after they had started with the temple foundation, there's a whole bunch of people, resources, time, energy, and whatever, going into the building of the foundation. And as they uh, rebuild it, here's what happens. I want you to listen as this is read for us. In the second month of the second year, after their arrival at the house of God in Jerusalem, Zerubbabel, son of Shaltiel, Joshua, son of Jozadak, and the rest of the people, the priests and the Levites, and all who had returned from the captivity to Jerusalem, began the work. They appointed Levites, 20 years old and older, to supervise the building of the house of the Lord. Joshua and his sons and brothers, and Cadmiel and his sons, descendants of Hodaviah, and the sons of Henadad, and their sons and brothers, all Levites, joined together in supervising those working on the house of God. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals, took their place to praise the Lord, as prescribed by David, king of Israel. With praise and thanksgiving they sang to the Lord. He is good. His love toward Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. No one could distinguish the sound of the shouts of joy from the sound of weeping, because the people made so much noise, and the sound was heard far away. I wonder if you caught that in the middle of all the Hebrew names and some of the religious language and whatever. There's this incredible moment where they build the foundation of the temple 
And it was kind of like phase one. The foundation was finished. It was the first real um, piece of rebuilding that they had started that they completed. It was phase one of a long journey of rebuilding. And so they wanted to um, market um, with a worship service. So they call up the worship leaders, like us calling Kurt and Johnny and say, come on, like we're gonna, we're gonna sing together. The priests are there, they're leaving there. Have this amazing moment. And something totally unexpected happens as they begin to worship. It says that out of the community of people, this rising sound of two totally opposite but equally loud and passionate responses. Some were shouting for joy. Yeah, yeah. Like they're so excited. They're singing, but they're shouting for joy. There's a shout of joy that starts to just erupt from these people as they're so excited to be finished phase one and what it's going to mean for what's ahead. And at the same time, there's a cry of anguish. It says weeping. And, that, and that's like the, ah, anguish. Equally loud, opposite to the cry of victory and joy, this cry of deep sadness. And it says the weeping, it was so loud that it was heard from a distance away, but all mixed together so that nobody could tell the difference. This shouting, yeah, and this weeping, ah, of anguish. <laughs> now, I, I feel like we need to just actually hear this, not just read this. So we're going to try this out together. Okay, this is like, I know, triggering for some of you grade 10 drama class. But we're going to do this together because we need to hear what it would sound like. So um, I'm going to give you, in a moment, you're going to make one of two really loud sounds. And as the music teachers among us would say, from your diaphragm, like it's got to come out of you, strong, loud. Some of you, well, you know, you, you channeled this when you were watching World Cup back in December or whatever. It's one, on the count of three, you're either going to go, yeah, as a cry of joy, a shout of joy and triumph, or you're going to go, ah, that'll be harder for some of you, but those of you who are really dialed into this. It may be exactly how you're feeling today, or you just may be like, I don't care what you pick, and it doesn't matter what you pick, you're just going to do it. On the count of three, we're going to do, yeah, or ah, as loud as we can to mix it all together. You ready? One, two, three. Not bad. Okay, but let, let's do it again even louder, okay? I am, I'm like a conductor trying to get more out of you. On the count of three, and you can switch this time if you like. Ready? One, two, three. Okay, that's good. That's solid. My friends, that is the sound of rebuilding. That's the sound of rebuilding. Joy and sadness mixed together. And it says here in this, in this um, uh, it's, it's kind of a jarring account. Like it, it all sounded from a distance. It was all mixed together. But in between the community, of course, one would have been shouting for joy and the other one would have been like crying or weeping. Why? Well, it, it, it actually tells us that there were many different people involved in the rebuilding process. Some of them would have been young, in their 20s maybe younger, maybe a little bit older, which means they had never even been to Jerusalem before. This was all new to them. They had never even seen the old temple. They were born in Babylon. They grew up hundreds of miles away. This was their first time to the homeland and they were involved in something new. So they're excited. They're, they're, they're it's like, hey, we've never built it. This is our thing, our project. We're building something new together. There was an excitement and completing phase one was like, great, what's next? They're young, they're youthful. They weren't scarred by the past. They didn't remember the past. They just had a different life. 
we know for the most part for their, their previous years in Babylon were peaceful or whatever. So they were coming home and this was going to be their land for the first time, something new. And so, of course, they're shouting for joy. But it says some of the older people who possibly it would have been 60 years since um, uh, Babylon had come and conquered Israel. And so some of them would have been 10, 12, 15, 20. And now they're in their 70s and 80s. And it says they began, when they saw the temple laid, it all of a sudden hit them. And they had probably grieved a little bit along the way, maybe in Babylon, but that's different than being home and seeing like, this is not at all what we were used to. The new thing is not better than the old thing. All the new thing does is remind us of the old thing. All of what we're heading into now reminds us of what we used to have and we lost. And so the sense of loss and grief erupts out of them just as loud as the ones who were excited for what it meant. There was an equal amount of grief and sorrow. It was all coming up from them. And we shouldn't be surprised, right? Because this is exactly what rebuilding means. Building, the idea of the word building means like, yeah, you're structuring something, you're planning something, you're building something with the hopes of what it will be, what it, it, will, what it will become, what it will mean to you. It's that you're building with a dream, a plan, a purpose, a vision, and it's all future oriented. Building implies progress. Building implies dreams. Building implies taking dreams and turning them into a reality, hope, expectation, future. <laughs> but re, rebuilding means there's possibly rubble. Rebuilding means you lost something. Rebuilding means there was loss, there was pain, there was sadness in the past. Rebuilding means there was something before that is not anymore. <laughs> and therefore implied in that is that you're trying to get back to, some, to somewhere before. And you're not sure, will we be able to? There's a, there's a level of uncertainty, not just loss in the process of rebuilding. This is what rebuilding actually means. In a sense, rebuilding implies joy and sadness. Hope, expectation for the future, and lament. Lament is just that like, oh no, we've lost. Rebuilding implies gratitude, expectation for what has happened, what will happen, and grieving for what didn't happen, or what did happen in terms of the loss, the sadness, the pain, and the disorientation. This is what it means when you name a season, a season of rebuilding. And friends, I think that actually describes our season. Know our situation, we were not literal exiles. And of course, the gravity and the grievousness and the depth of pain that the nation would have experienced was, was probably much deeper than ours. And yet, to name the season we're in as rebuilding actually is very appropriate because it reminds us there is both joy and sadness. There is both gratitude and grieving. There is both hope and lament. And what do I mean by that? Well, in many ways, right? To name this as rebuilding recognizes that we have been through a season of loss, personal loss. Some of us have lost loved ones. And maybe because of COVID or just the circumstances around it or it just happened to coincide with this season, but because of everything that's going on, those losses felt heavier. Some of us perhaps weren't able to have proper funerals, proper visitation. We weren't even able to see our loved ones in their final days. 
Some of us has lost jobs or lost financial standing or stability. Some of us have lost friends or we lost opportunities that we would have had in school as, as preschoolers, middle schoolers, high schoolers. Some of us have lost just a sense of family health. <laughs> like our family has been in conflict in this season. Some of us have lost marriages or lost friendships. There has been pain through this season, disruption, and if nothing else, immense change. Rebuilding names this loss clearly as a cry of grief, saying there has been loss. And not just as individuals, that, that as, as communities, as the way we have interacted with each other, as neighbors, as friends, as friends in school or in, in church, as a faith community we have lost. There's been so much disruption, and not just because of the pandemic sort of shut down churches for a while, but the church capital C has gone through immense pain and loss as it grapples with scandal, failure, the, the collapse of leaders or the uncovering of things that were happening in the past, or perhaps even like in our own nation, the culpability of the church, things done in the name of God by people that have caused pain. All of this is coming to the surface. Not to mention the fact that in many ways, the foundation or the center of our lives as the faith community has not been Jesus. It has been many other things, many other debates, many other frustrations, many other conversations about civil liberties, and not Jesus at the center. We are trying to rebuild our center or in a sense our foundation because we have made our foundation about a lot of other things. We've lost even I think a sense of purpose in the world and a lost a desire and a willingness to sacrifice for other people, to live as people for the sake of others, in a sense lost our mission and our purpose in the world. All of these things we have lost and we are trying to, in the process, or needing to, even if we don't realize it, rebuild. See, the, the word rebuilding, to name a season like this, is both honest, right? It recognizes loss and pain, but it's also instructive. It actually invites action. Right? To name this rebuilding doesn't allow us to just sit lazily and, 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 and just sort of fall into a coma of where we've been. Naming it rebuilding says, no, there's something to do. There's work to be done. In fact, when you read these, these books of Ezra and Nehemiah, which describe the rebuilding work, there was a lot of work, hands-on work they did. There was a lot to be done for the faith community, in their individual communities, in the city walls, it says, in front of their own houses. Rebuilding says, no, we cannot just allow. We've lost some things, but this cannot be the new normal. But likewise, rebuilding says, yeah, but we can't just march on and say, great, we're happy to lose some of the past. We're happy to get rid of, you know, what we've lost. We didn't like some of that stuff anyways. Let's rebuild. Now, maybe that's true, but it doesn't allow us to just move on without caring for those uh, and caring for our own souls that have, that have sustained damage. It does not allow us to say, hey, let's just forget the past, let's move on, because there are real hurts, real losses, and in some ways, grieving has not really happened. We've done a lot of escape, but not much honest assessment and grieving. And so rebuilding is honest, but it's instructive, it's helpful. <laughs> it, it tells us that, um, that this is 
meant to be in play. It also actually just helps us understand why we struggle with each other's responses, right? Because some of us want to move on. Some of us are happy that some of the things of the past are torn down or not around anymore or good. You know what? I, I wanted to stop doing that for a long time. Now I don't have to do that anymore and I want to move forward. Some of us are happy with that and we don't understand people who are um, upset about or complaining about or keep on looking in the past. We keep saying, come on, move forward. Let's go. Others of us, you know, don't understand how people can't see our grief, our pain, our loss, or are not even tuned in to what we have sustained and what we've gone through, or perhaps even attentive to their own pain and their own loss. We actually need each other. Rebuilding helps us do this together. It helps us know that both joy and sadness, hope and lament, gratitude and grieving are a part of this whole process. And so really kind of before we sort of move on and get even more practical about, okay, what would that mean for us? I want to pause and do something that actually the people of God did themselves as they sang. We want to sing a song that together that actually expresses both. It expresses hope and lament. It expresses joy and sadness. It acknowledges honestly the pain, the struggle, and at the same time expresses hope and joy in God as our foundation in the middle of a process of rebuilding. This is kind of hard to do, right? To have both of these songs present, to, to allow the cry and the, the joy to come in together. I imagine even as the people were there singing, like, and you're shouting at the top of your lungs and the person next to you is weeping loudly. Right? You're probably trying to sing louder just to drown. Nobody wants to hear that guy cry. Let's sing louder. But that's often how we can be. And in fact, many of our songs don't even allow for, I suppose if we sang songs of lament, like people would just be depressed, nobody would come to church. But that's not true. Like I think the problem is that so many of the songs express the cries of victory and not enough of the cries of lament. And we need both. It's hard to do, but when we name it as rebuilding, it gives permission. It gives permission to recognize some of us are grieving and some of us need to grieve and some of us need to teach the rest of us how to grieve. And likewise, we need hope. We need faith. We need a forward looking. We need a perspective that looks back and looks forward. That's what rebuilding allows us to do. And it recognizes this was a song of worship. It wasn't like God was upset with what they were singing. This was in the presence of God, both tears and, and, and like excitement and laughter, both hope and lament, both gratitude and grieving. It was all part of worship that God invites and receives and joins in with us. So when we name it, it gives permission to that. And one of the most profound ways that we can express it, because sometimes just talking about it is hard, right? We actually find it a lot easier to express both grief and gratitude, both joy and sadness in song and, quite frankly, prayers, because most of our songs are prayers. In fact, the song we just sung is a prayer. And so... <laughs> And that's why I'm talking about this today, because any of you know what day it is or what time of year it is. I always basically use our message, our teaching time, as a 25, 30-minute announcement to try to get you to come to the week of prayer, which starts tonight because we feel like this is the best place to begin rebuilding in a sense. Like prayer is an, is an essential part of how rebuilding happens. In fact, prayer lays the foundation for the rest of the rebuilding that has to happen. Right? 
prayer, that foundation, where do we begin? We begin with God. We begin in the presence of God. We put Jesus at the center again. We bring our sadness and our joy, our gratitude and our grieving, our hope and our lament into the presence of God together as a community. This is why prayer is the most effective starting point. Prayer lays the foundation for the rest of the rebuilding that we need to do. Look, if my life is any indication over the last month, maybe I'm assuming, but you and I have probably done a lot of time with family. Some of you are like, yeah, too much. Others of you, not enough, whatever, but spend a lot of time with people probably. A lot of time perhaps cooking, eating, cleaning, then eating again, then eating again, napping on the couch, watching lots of sports, football, hockey, basketball, football, whatever it is, lots of hours. And some of that probably has been restful, but maybe some of it has been escape. Some of it's been helpful maybe, but some of it's just been a, a distraction. And probably what we haven't done a lot of, those hours and hours and hours that we spent hanging out with people and eating and celebrating and buying and shopping and watching hasn't left many minutes for prayer. And so I always love the gift that the week of prayer is at the beginning, after coming through a season like this to go, start here, lay the foundation for the rest of the rebuilding that has to happen in the year ahead. Because the only thing harder than rebuilding is having to do it alone. <laughs> And the bigger the job of rebuilding, right? Because this is, this is about our personal lives, our communities, our faith community, our relationship with God, our relationship with the world around us. The bigger the task of rebuilding is, the more we need other people to help us in it. And so that's why we're doing corporate prayer, communal prayer, starting together. And so I want to invite you um, to come this afternoon, 4 p.m., to our kickoff to the week of prayer. So that's actually what's happening today. Like normally our King site meets at four o'clock, but they're not. They're uh, at one of our sites this morning. And together, all three of us are gonna meet at four o'clock for a prayer kickoff. There'll be um, a kids program for uh, ages zero up to five, where they're gonna be learning as well. And then we get to finish that time of prayer at five. Uh, we start at four and at 5.30 we have a family meal together. All of us as a community, as part of that both grief and joy. And we're going to learn to do that a little bit again this afternoon. And how do we pray that way? How do we learn to pray that way together? Um, how do we enter this year? And how can this um, idea of rebuilding begin to permeate all we're doing? And so that's um, tonight or today, this afternoon at four o'clock and family meal. And then it's not just for tonight, for the whole rest of the week. Actually, this is a week of prayer. And so for the rest of the nights, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, they'll be at 7.30. Monday is Zoom only. Every night it'll be live streamed, thewell.ca slash prayer. So you can look in if you can't, absolutely can't make it, but any of you that have been to the live weeks of prayer, and we haven't had a live one in three years, you know there's nothing like being in the room. So if you can get there, get there. They'll all be at King City United Church. And so uh, that's this afternoon at King City, Monday on Zoom, and then Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday at King City. Wednesday night, our youth are gonna be leading us. They're gonna be teaching us to pray on how to pray and how they see the world and what rebuilding looks like for them. We're gonna hear from some of our international workers as well as we learn to support them again in the work they're doing and rebuilding. But this is just an incredible chance to start the year like this. Now, <laughs> I said to you at the beginning of this, you know, I don't want to live at the mercy of what other people name this season. And so maybe you're like, hey, well, I don't know if I want to accept that name real rebuilding. No problem. We prayed about it as staff and volunteers, but I would invite you to just come. Don't take it from me. Come into prayer this afternoon for this week and hear from God. Let him speak to you. And maybe that rebuilding word, he's going to reinforce it. But maybe there's another word. Maybe there's a name he's going to give you for you or for an event or an experience or for the season that you're in that will help you know how to live 
differently. Because all I know is when God gives us the name, when God names the place, the space, the event, the person, everything changes.